Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we talk to an artist or other creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Leslie Barker, Arts-Based Community Development Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with Holly Lang. Holly is this year's Governor's Arts Awards, Governor's Choice Award recipient for her extensive work in the world of the arts in Mississippi. And we certainly have a lot to talk about. Welcome, Holly. Congratulations on this incredible honor. Hey, Leslie. Thank you. And I'm so glad to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. So we have so much to talk about because you have just so much incredible experience and so many years of commitment to the arts in our state. So we're going to jump right in and talk about you a little bit. So okay, tell us where you grew up. Where did it all start? So I was born and raised in Austin, Texas, back when it was a hippie groovy college town and um, California had not um, migrated that direction with its tech industry. And it was just a really cool place to grow up. Um, there was, it's a really academic environment at the time. UT was the uh, centerpiece. My father had an Episcopal church on the UT campus. Um, and uh, it was just real laid back and a lot of fun, but very um, intellectual and um, mm-hmm. academic in nature. And it was just a great time. I have a twin sister um, and we got around and had a good time and have a we still have a ton of childhood friends um, that we stay in touch with. And I still have a good bit of family there. Oh, so you're a twin. I am a twin. There are two of me, which sometimes scares people. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm always fascinated by twins and like, they're like telepathic communication. That is another podcast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so going back to, to the growing up, what, you know, clearly something led you to the arts. Were you always into books? Were you always into music? I always, oh yes, is the answer to that question. Um, I all, again, Austin was just a really vibrant community Mm -hmm. of artists and intellectuals and musicians and uh, just a lot of fun people. And my people were readers, everybody read in my family. Um, And if you wanted to hang out with my grandmother or um, have a good conversation at the dinner table, you write a book. The other side of that was the music scene in Austin in the seventies and eighties was just really intense. Um, I mean, I I laugh and I tell people I had an opportunity to babysit for Stevie Ray Vaughan's kids. Um, yeah, or actually Jimmy Vaughan, um, the Thunderbirds, but uh, you know, tickets to music concerts were $5 if they weren't Mm -hmm. free. And they were some, most of the time they were outdoors. Um, and so I was always around um, artistic people and it energized me. The caveat is that I am not a particularly um, artistic person myself. I cannot paint. I cannot sing. Um, I can write fairly well, but I don't, would never write a book that does not have any appeal. Um, what art does to me is it sets off a visceral response inside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, it really just excites me. So what I love to do is talk to people about their art. Uh, I've always been that way. 
um, when I had the opportunity um, or just to hang out and listen to music with people. It, it was just a really, it was a great way to grow up and it was a really enriching environment. It kind of set my head on fire. So, um, but I didn't really ever plan on a career in the arts. It was just sort of something we did. I was part of growing up in Austin um, and how we lived our lives. I thought I was going to go into politics and um, I came over to Millsaps College and I, I spent four years here and graduated and I went back to Austin and I thought I was going to get in politics and I thought I was going to stay in Texas the rest of my life and work in politics and hang out in Austin and it was just going to be this groovy life and the best laid plans. Um, I ended up moving up to DC for a couple of years and got really into event planning. And I don't mean event planning by like children's birthday parties and weddings. I was responsible for large training events um, and national conferences Mm. for um, um, member associations. So um, if you held a, somebody has a big conference of teachers in Iowa, I would help go organize that. Uh, And so that sort of got me in, that allowed me to still work with some artistic and creative people, but my brain is really wired for logistics. Um, I do a lot of advanced work and I can, you know, some people can see lyrics. um, Mm -hmm. Some people can envision what a painting would look like to them and how they express that and get it from inside to outside. Um, I can look at a room and tell you how it should be laid out and how many people can fit in it. That's my gift. So um, that's a good gift. (laughs) it, It is a good gift. Um, and so I, I didn't really know that growing up, um, but I didn't have to know that. I kind of grew up in, a, in, a, in an environment where you just sort of read and you explored and you learned um, and you talked and you sort of found your path and your path could go any way you wanted. There was no prescribed notion that I had to do something. And that was really a gift from my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it was probably patience on their end. They're like, well, she didn't figure out what she wants to do yet. Um, but they weren't mad about it. And I had some plenty of time to do that. And so over time, I just sort of leaned towards um, helping organize artistic endeavors. Hmm. So you were here in Jackson for Millsaps. You left Jackson. What brought you back to Jackson? Oh, boy. I, ah. um, I had um, moved to D.C. and I was actually in the aforementioned Iowa uh, giving a speech for the company I worked for and my college roommate was getting married in Jackson. So I had a cute little pink linen suit at on at five o'clock in the morning and I hopped on a plane and I connected in St. Louis and there were three people on that flight. This, my now husband and another gentleman and they were seated next to each other, otherwise empty plane to Jackson. So that man said, y'all want to sit by each other. And he was my college roommate's little brother's best friend. And we were both headed to her wedding and um, we flew in together. My dress was a huge, big pink wrinkle. Um, We hung out at the wedding together all weekend. He came up to DC about three weeks later, take me to dinner and um, the rest is history. And we decided we would go back to Austin because DC was a little expensive to live when we were that age and young. Mm -hmm. And so we moved back to Austin uh, for a little while. But all of our friends, um, Alan really wanted to live in Jackson. And my friends were always going to be my friends. And I loved them dearly. But all my college friends were still here. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them were sort of settling down and having kids and starting careers. And I thought, I can live in Jackson so long as I get to go back to Austin anytime I want. And and he was totally cool with that. So 
we moved back to Jackson and got married and instantly had a child. And then pretty instantly thereafter had another child. And I burned up the road back and forth to Austin for many, many years. Um, Hmm. And then flew when Southwest was here. My whole family was still there. So I was real happy. Jackson was just a, it is, I don't need to put in the past tense. Um, It's a great place to live and to raise kids. Um, It's an affordable place to live. There's plenty to do for everyone. As people, when I left and moved here, people would say, you mean you left Austin to come to Jackson? And I'm like, (laughs) I did. I don't know why that is so a struggle for people to really kind of get their brains around. Um, But, you know, I have kind of, I have a, I have fun wherever I go and I I can be as happy as I am here as I am in Austin, or I could be as sad as in Austin as I am, as I am here. But I saw, I thought I kept hearing um, why I, why did you leave Austin? And I finally thought, you know, I'm going to try to help make Jackson a really cool place. So people will stop comparing it um, to other cities and wonder why we aren't so-and-so and and why we can't do whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I moved here and I kind of got through that, I thought, I'm, I'm really going to try to help make Jackson a cool place to live. And that's how I got started. So we, we moved here in 99 and got married uh, and have been here ever since. What was the first kind of artistic endeavor in Jackson for you? Well, this is very easy. Um, when I was, I moved, we moved back here in the, we got married in 99 and in 2000, well, it's in this sometime during the year in 99, I was, at North Park Mall in Ann Taylor. And I was in the dressing room and I was walking out and there stood Betsy Bradley. And mm-hmm. Betsy was, had been my college English professor. She was getting her master's and then doctorate degree. And she was teaching an adjunct class at Millsaps and she had taught me English lit. And we had a fast friendship. And I walked out and she said, you've moved back here. And I said, I have. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. I can't find a job. No one understands what an event planner really is. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, why don't you come help me with the governor's arts awards? Because at the time she was the director of the Mississippi Arts Commission and Virgie Lindsay was the director of communications. And so I said, all right. And Susan, they had hired Susan Watkins to direct the governor's arts awards. And I um, was hired to do whatever Susan Watkins needed doing. And so I helped with the first, uh, my first gig was really, I spent three or four years helping with the Governor's Arts Awards. And then I, after the first one, I kind of, it was great because it allowed me to make some contacts in the, um, the behind the scenes of the artistic world and um, sort of contract work and gigs just led from, from that singular event. No way. That is such a full circle moment. Well, and it, trust me, it's in my acceptance speech. I assure you, it's not, it's not lost on me, the irony um, that that was my very first job. And here we are. It's awesome. I'm very, I'm just humbled beyond belief because it's, uh, I never at, in 1999 or in the year 2000, sitting at the steps of the old Capitol Museum, watching all these amazing people get awards. Um, it never occurred to me that I could be there one day. That never, that thought never crossed my mind. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So, so you started with the Governor's Award, so that's which is a great, you know, big dip of your toe into the arts in Mississippi. And I, I personally am a big fan of Jubilee Jam. Grew up mm-hmm. going to it. So, tell us about first of all, if in case our listeners don't know, tell us what Jubilee Jam was. 
So Jubilee Jam was founded by a group of community activists who wanted a music concert that represented all walks of life in Jackson mm. uh, and in, really in central Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And uh, Malcolm White was at the hub of it because uh, mm -hmm. he's Malcolm White and you know he was in the music industry and in the entertainment industry and he got it all and they had a, a board of directors and it was a very active board of directors and I think the last one I recall um, I came in when Carol Berger who was with United Way was the outgoing chair and Robert Gibbs was the incoming chair um, and it had been going on for I don't know, 18, 10, 15 years at that point when I got to it. Mm. Um, and the world was still a festival oriented place. Um, mm -hmm. It was, it, people were real happy to be there. And they had, it had really become this behemoth thing with several stages and multiple artists over the course of two or three days. Uh, and it, it really was, I mean, I went to it when I was at Millsaps. Um, it was a really exciting time and you could see just about any music genre represented there. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, I, I remember one year they even had a steel drum guy on the street teaching other kids how to do use steel drums, which I thought was really cool. And when I moved here, um, I, had, I did some work for Betsy, at the Governor's Arts Awards. And then my friend Billy Wynn was working at Stupont Community Service and his um we are, have family friends and we're connected through Austin. And he called me and he said, can you help me do this? And I said, sure. Okay. Um, and they had a red beans and rice, which was an outdoor concert. Um, and mm -hmm. it was a fundraiser for stew pot and it is still going on today. I think now it's held at oh, per wow. in Pearl at Trustmark, I think. Um, anyway, in the middle of stew pot, red beans and rice, we had, it was my birthday and Billy said, well, look, we'll splurge and get a band. Who do you want? And I said, I want the sub dudes to play. And he said, all right, let's get the sub dudes. So I called and we booked the sub dudes and we started to sketch out what the stage would look like. And, um, Entergy showed up to help put the electrical panel together and, mm -hmm. and run electricity. And they said, you need an electrical panel. And I said, I don't have an electrical panel. How do I get one? And they said, well, you have to build one, but it'll cost you about $50,000 and a oh lot my. of time. And I said, well, we don't have that. He said, well, Jubilee Jam has an electric panel and I bet you could borrow theirs. And uh, uh, I said, well, who do I call? And they said, you call Malcolm White. And I did not know Malcolm White at the time. I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't know him personally. <laughs> so I said, all right. So I'm standing around the curb in downtown Jackson and I got Malcolm's number and I called him and I said, hey, this is Holly Lang and I don't know you and you don't know me, but I need your electrical panel. And he said, okay, the only problem is Jubilee Jam didn't pay its bills and that the electrical panel is in a trailer in Pearl, Mississippi. And until we can pay our bill, we can't get the, anything out of it. I said, where is it? And he told me the name and I said, okay, great. And so I called this trailer company and I said, hi, this is Holly Lang. I'm helping with stew pot with red beans and rice. And I think you have Jubilee Jam's trailer and I want to see how much it would cost to spring it. And he said, well, Holly, this is Jay <laughs> so-and-so. And he was my college roommate stepbrother. And he said, what is going on? And I said, look, I'm doing this benefit for red beans for a stew pot. And we need this. All I need is one thing out of that trailer. I said, how much would it cost to spring the trailer? And he said, if you brought me $500 cash, I'll spring the trailer. So Billy went and I scrounged up $500 and I ran over to Pearl and he sprung the trailer and we got the electric panel set up and everything was fine. Um, and we had a great concert. And then Malcolm White called me and he said, you're pretty impressive and you're pretty aggressive. Do you think you want to come work for Jubilee Jam? And I said, sure. 
And that's just about, I mean, an honest to God, that is exactly how it happened. Um, I walked into a meeting at the Julie Jam Jam office in downtown Jackson at the Crossroads building and uh, was pretty much hired on the spot because I think they had just exhausted all other options humanly possible. And they said, we want you to come do this. And so I started fundraising and organizing for them and working with Malcolm. And I think we pulled off three or four Jubilee jams. And then it was the, the environment just kind of changed. Um, raising money was becoming harder. Um, people coming to downtown Jackson was becoming a struggle. Um, finding the right balance of musicians that we could afford was becoming a struggle. Uh, when they first hired me, they had just announced Bob Dylan and Luther Vandross. And I was like, you boys are going down in a ball of fire. I can tell you that. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we, we really gave it our best shot for four or five more years, but it was, it was just becoming financially harder and harder to do. Musicians were charging more money to attend and perform. Um, costs were rising and fundraising was not increasing and it was becoming a struggle. So, um, you know, we made the difficult decision to um, end it. And a couple of friends um, tried to keep it alive for a couple of more years in different iterations, but eventually um, it just died. And of course, now with COVID, it would be yeah, really dead. Um, yeah. But anyway, it was, it was just awesome. And, and I'll, I'll fast forward slightly. Um, I was very fortunate to be involved in the B.B. King Museum opening. They asked me to come and handle all the opening weekends and they hired well, I don't think they hired anybody. I think people came and just performed with BB and Keb Moe was there. Mm-hmm. And um, I was real excited. I, I, so Keb Moe is like the first performer I met at Jubilee Jam. And so we were backstage at, we were standing out in front of the BB King museum after his performance. And I said, would you, I've, I have done this a handful of times. I said, would you mind if we took a photo? And he said, sure. And I said, there's no way you remember this, but I helped with jubilee jam and you performed and he was like oh yeah i love jubilee jam it was great and i said yeah you had like white linen pants on and this cool green linen shirt and these really cool sandals and this hat and everybody looked at me they're like you're sounding like a stalker and i was like <laughs> well, it was a very cool moment that's all i can say <laughs> so jubilee jam was a great thing and you know i would give anything for that to come back again but i think it was just something that we have to treasure the memories of This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker, Arts-Based Community Development Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with this year's Governor's Choice Award recipient, Holly Lang. Save the date for this year's Governor's Arts Awards that will be on Thursday, February 10th at the two Mississippi Museums. So we've been talking about Holly's work with Jubilee Jam and just work in, in Jackson in general. And we're gonna dive into a really big one because you are the founder of the Mississippi Book Festival. 
So yeah, I mean, which is amazing and wonderful. So just, uh, how did it start? What gave you the, the, you know, inspiration to do this? So I was, um, there was a group of people in Jackson uh, across the state who had sort of assembled themselves to talk about a book festival. And we've talked about Malcolm already. Um, They were talking to Malcolm about it. And Malcolm and I had talked about a book festival for years, um, how it would work, when the timing was going to be right. And really the stars just aligned. I don't know what we're talking about, eight or nine years ago, eight years ago. Um, And a group had got together. They really wanted, they were committed to doing it. And and he said, all right, if you're really serious, you need to call Holly Lang. And I'd known some of these people um, and working with them in various jobs and volunteer capacities uh, in the community before. So I met with uh, Jerry Nash and John Evans, who owns Lemuria Bookstore and um, several other people. And we talked about it and, and I explained to them from a logistic standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, what would be involved in starting a book festival. I had worked, uh, a friend of mine's mother uh, was helped start the Texas Book Festival. Um, she had really come up with the idea and shelved it, no pun intended, until mm-hmm. she thought it would be just right. And when Laura Bush came along uh, to be the first lady of Texas, the mm-hmm. time was right. And Mary Margaret Fairby got down her notes and her notebooks and met with uh, Mrs. Bush and they created the Texas Book Festival. And I got to volunteer. Uh, as a driver for um, great authors and I staffed special events and, you know, whatever they asked me to do, I was happy to do. And when I moved here and I looked around, particularly at the Governor's Arts Award ceremonies, I thought, why do we not have a book festival? I mean, there's the talent is just um, mm-hmm. beyond what really almost any other state has to offer. So the, when we all, I said, so I said, but y'all, y'all, I don't, I think, I don't think people understand special events and the work that goes into creating a Jubilee Jam or, or a book festival. It seems like in theory, you should say, oh, just call John Grisham. He'll come and we'll just set a (laughs) microphone up and everything will happen magically. It was a lot of work. (laughs) Um, It just, you just don't, there are no book festival, you know, fairies that come in with magic wands and instantly you have this successful program. It, It took a lot of brain power um, to, to even pull it off in the first year, there were a group of us that basically, um, had to convince people that to fund and support and attend an event that most people had never thought of conceptually or even attended in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, almost everybody can say, Oh, I've been to a music festival. Um, but not a lot of people could say they've been to a book festival. And this is not, I would like to distinguish your high school or your junior high book fair. I mean, this is a really big deal. Uh, to me, it was, while, I, while we do want to highlight the best of Mississippi local writers, it really was also um, celebrating the book as a whole, um, bringing in um, writers who had left Mississippi and been very successful, bringing in very successful writers, um, and some serious literature to people in Mississippi for them to have that experience as well. So it was a really, it was, I mean, we pushed a rock uphill for a long period of time, but I think after the third year, people finally got it. Uh, and, and we were clicking right along it. it I knew that it was going to take us um, three solid years before people went, okay, I get it now. And it was going to take five years before it becomes sort of a, uh, cultural phenomena where people were like oh it's the missing book festival i love that 
Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, COVID ended us, um, well, it didn't end us, it ended us physically in person at the state capitol after five, and we were able to pull six and seven off virtually um, and, and did a fairly good job of capturing some new and different type of programming online. Uh, but certainly from an archival standpoint, um, getting authors and books um, on tape, on video, talking about their works for um, all of eternity is a pretty cool thing. And, um, and I sort of designed it. I knew that, I mean, people hire me to start things and to finish things. And so I knew that I was not going to be the executive director of the book festival my entire life. I, mm -hmm. I think that that, I knew that was going to be an unhealthy uh, path for both me and the book festival. When you start something, you give it everything you have, and eventually you just run out of energy. And I knew that would happen. So I thought I'll, I'll give it seven to eight years and see um, and we'll just, and that should be it. So fortunately, um, in year four, um, we hired Ellen Daniels, uh, who had worked the, at the at Lemuria Bookstore for a long time and had been a buyer for them. And she really understood the book festival um, and she got it. And so she, uh, we hired her with the idea that she would at least be the conduit to all the authors and visit with them about books and organize that portion of it. And she really, um, had the showed some capacity for leading the organization. And um, so the transition from me to Ellen was super easy mm. and I was able to leave it all in good hands. Um, and Ellen and I are still great friends. We talk fairly, if not every day, every other day, uh, sometimes we talk about the book festival and sometimes we don't, mm -hmm. and I'm still sort of involved um, with, you know, talking about books and who should come um, and who we would like to invite. And we are very optimistic, um, although we said this last year, that we will be in person again this year. Mm. So tell us what, because, you know, some people may still not understand, what is, the, what is the book festival? What does it look like? So if somebody that's listening has never been to the festival, what is a day at the Mississippi Book Festival like? Well, it's important to note that it's at our Mississippi state Capitol and it's mm -hmm. there because that's neutral territory for me. It's not in Jackson. It's not in Oxford. It's not in Ridgeland. It's not in Tupelo. Mm -hmm. We are at the state Capitol. I sort of consider it its own little city for the day. Mm -hmm. um, and we start first thing at 9 a.m. Um, three years in a row, we kicked off with um, a significant speaker or um, unveiling literary markers. And one year we had the Librarian of Congress open the festival. And by open, I mean that they are inside um, in the state capitol in the old Supreme Court chamber, welcoming everyone. And it's well aired live on C-SPAN. C-SPAN comes and broadcasts from that room, um, which is really cool because if you don't want to come to Mississippi and bear the heat, you could still watch it. Um, and then we have eight other venues. We have eight total venues, seven in addition to that room. And there are panels set up, uh, eight foot tables at the front of every room. And there are three or four panelists at the front and, and the, we schedule it out. Uh, we fill in with, for example, an art panel. And we may have books on, um, like this year, for example, we're going to have books on Walter Anderson and talk about the work of mm -hmm. Walter Anderson because there's a new book about Walter Anderson. Mm -hmm. um, we'll have a literary panel where we have like, you know, five or six people who have written really great um, fiction the last year. Um, that you've seen probably on New York Times bestselling list, and they are going to come and talk about their work. Um, and it's a really, it's an, it's an opportunity to really relate to authors, to learn about a genre that you may not know about, or to meet your favorite author. 
Um, we always try to um, highlight a Mississippi panel that's just kind of a hodgepodge of Mississippi um, writers who have put a book out in the recent year. Um, we have a poetry panel. And it's so funny when we did the poetry panel, the poet laureate at the time, Beth Ann Finley said, no one's gonna come. And we probably turned away 150 people because we could not seat everyone in that room. So, I mean, really there's, there's a topic for everyone. And what people who will have come before will tell you, the hardest thing to do is to take the grid of the day with the schedule and the rooms and pick the panel you want to come to, you want to mm -hmm. attend. Um, it, so for some people it's, you know, Sophie's choice trying to figure out which is the one, you know, what, what panel can you absolutely skip and what panel can you, uh, do you have to be at? So we, we're inside the state capitol and we're at Galloway in their rooms, but also we take over the lawn and the streets of the state capitol. Um, and we have booksellers, um, Lemuria Bookstore and many other local bookstores uh, from across the state come and sell books. Uh, it's a pretty big day there. And then we have a 400 foot long tent of um, independent authors. Uh, and maybe they haven't written a book in a couple of years, but they still have some copies they've wanted to sell or for some reason they didn't fit on a panel and they will go in that tent and sell their books uh, to the public. And most people usually sell out. We probably have a dozen food trucks. So you can go to a panel in the morning, go have a taco from Green Ghost, go into the Galloway Sanctuary, see a, a very famous author, um, sit in the shade for a while and read a new book. Um, you can do your Christmas shopping. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a really, um, it is warm, literally and figuratively. Um, <laughs> it's very casual. Most people are in shorts and a t-shirt um, or you know khakis and a, and a t-shirt. It's not a dressy affair. We refer to it as Mississippi's literary lawn party. And it is just, it, it is really just that. Um, the lines can be long. So, but people are really gracious. Nobody got upset that they couldn't get in to see something. We told them in plenty of time so they could, re and we would redirect them to see another panel. Um, but for example, one year we had um, Jasmine Ward featured on mm -hmm. her own. Um, we've had Salman Rushdie featured on his own. Richard Ford has been a couple of times. Um, Greg Isles has been a couple of times. John Grisham, of course, came the first year. Um, they're, they're, you know, the, we, what we want to bring are the biggest names across in books. So the biggest names in books would be um, if there's a big food book for the year. Robert St. John always comes and moderates a great um, cooking panel. So it, 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 there really is something for everybody. The panels are short. It's not boring and academic where you're stuck in a room for an hour and a half. They're usually 45 minutes, 45 to 50 minutes. And then you get a chance to go to the signing tent and actually meet the author and get him or her to sign a book for you and uh, pose for a selfie or whatever you want. So you feel like you actually know that person and you're now developed a relationship with them. And so you become, you've extended your fan base. So you mentioned a few of, of the authors that have been here. Tell us, do you have any like fun stories about any of the, the authors that have come through? I'm sure you have days oh, worth. <laughs> Would you share um, one with us? <laughs> there there are, are so many, so many stories I could share with you. I mean, I, I don't know. There are so many, there really were, are, it, it's just a magical day. And uh, on my, I wear my little iWatch or Apple watch. Uh, and I, I walk about, 10 to 14 miles uh, on book festival day in, in nice mm -hmm. shoes, I would like to point out. Um, one year, well, so let's see, Richard Ford was supposed to come and God love him. He got all the way to the airport and he got stranded at the airport in Maine. 
um, all day. He sat at the airport and finally he called me at nine o'clock on Friday night and said, I'm not going to make it. I said, okay, I totally get it. Go home and we'll see you next year. So I called John Meacham and said, Richard Ford can't make it. Could you be Richard Ford tomorrow? And he said, happy to. <laughs> so he jumped in and went over uh, and ended up on stepping in for Richard Ford and talking, being in conversation with Rob Perigen at Millsaps about um, his latest book. And it was really interesting. And then speaking of John Meacham, so he, John is just, has always been very supportive of the book festival. His wife is from Mississippi. Um, he is very good friends with Rob Perigen at Millsaps. He is uh, very supportive of, of all things literary here. And um, I, we were talking about him coming back and being in a political conversation with someone and who would he like to bring? And he said, Carl Rove. And we all just scratched our heads and went, okay, bring Carl Rove. Um, and so we sent, he and Julia Reed were dear, dear friends. And Julia, of course, died two years ago. Um, and Julia was getting um, cancer treatment in Nashville and staying with the Meachams. And so we had a friend who said, I'll take a plane and go get them. And Julia and John got on the plane and they called me from the speakerphone in the car when they landed. And they said, we had, I can hear Julia going, Holly, we had to divert. We're down at Gulfport, but we're going to make it in time for the, we're going to make it in time for our panel. Don't you worry. And you hear John go, drive faster, drive faster. And I knew exactly that they were in Jackson and they were going to be there, going to be there. And I was like, this will be funny in three days, but now you need to get your butts <laughs> to Galloway right now because you've got a crowd waiting on you. Um, everybody is just always in a good mood. I mean, really, the first year when we had a luncheon in honor of Willie Morris, in memory of Willie Morris at Howlin' Mouths, and really all of the literary who's who showed up for that luncheon. Um, all the independent bookstore owners were there. John Grisham was there. John Evans was there. I mean, I'm looking at a picture uh, that I have in my office um, with Ellen Gilchrist, Greg Isles, John Grisham, John Evans. Um, and it, it really was a special day. And to me, it's just the whole, I, I, I just can't pick a, a one singular time because every, everybody is so happy to be there uh, to be talking about Mississippi, to be talking about their books, to be talking about and to and with their fans, that it's just a magical experience in one day in downtown Jackson. Um, and it, it, it's hard to really encapsulate into one simple story the magic of it. Um, it really is. I mean, meeting Carla Hayden, the Librarian of Congress, and spending 20 minutes visiting with her one-on-one, -on -one, uh, just about her her path and and what's happening at the Library of Congress right now um, in the Capitol was really, you know, a unique and special occurrence. Um, and I've developed friendships with so many of these authors over time. And I remember the first time I met Jasmine Ward, I saw her from afar. And all I could think is, how is, can that tiny, beautiful creature <laughs> just write with so much power um, and, and depth. And I, you know, I, I still, I'm never going to get over and forget the first time I met her. Um, and now I, I know her and I laugh all the time and I see her on, on social media and we exchange notes from time to time, but I, I, and I love her, but I just will never get over that first time of sort of shock and awe of meeting someone you really um, admire and have admired. 
This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker from the Mississippi Arts Commission, and Holly Lang is with us today. And we're so fortunate to learn about her extensive work with the arts in Mississippi. So with Holly, who founded the Mississippi Book Festival, it's clear that she loves books, right? So we ha- Holly, mm-hmm. I have to ask you, do you have a favorite author? I can say this now because I am officially retired from the book festival, Ellen Gilchrist. I met Ellen Gilchrist when I was in Austin at my friend's house near the UT campus. She was dating someone, I forget who it is. And he wrote, he was an editor of the Texas Review and she'd come to visit and she was sitting at the dining room table. And my sister and I just sat down and started just visiting with her and oddly enough, developed this sort of fast friendship with her. And my sister ended up babysitting for the woman who is on the cover of cannot get you close enough she lived in austin um and so we sort of Mm -hmm. became pen pals with ellen and then as time went on we drifted apart and then at millsaps um, i'm sorry i graduated from millsaps i was looking for a babysitter um i was working on i don't know what other some other project and I got a, I called millsaps and i said do you have a babysitter list and they gave me a babysitter list and Mm -hmm. i picked this random name whitney and I called her and I said, hey, this is Holly Lang. I'm looking for babysitters. She said, sure, I'll come over. So she babysat while my husband and I went to dinner and we came back. She said, she pointed to all of Ellen's books on my bookshelf. And she said, you know, that's my aunt. <laughs> and I was speechless. And my husband said, this is the first time I have known Holly to be completely speechless. So when we started playing the book festival, uh, I said, you know, y'all, we need some serious star power. We need John Grisham. We need so-and-so and so-and-so we need Ellen Kilchrist. And John Evans said, we'll go get her. So I texted Whitney and she sent me Ellen's phone number. And I called Ellen. I said, you're not going to remember me. And she did. And I said, would you come (laughs) to Mississippi Book Festival? And she said, of course. Um, And so she showed up and was in conversation and she was on a panel with Julia Reed, Greg Isles, and two or three other people. Mm -hmm. And you could not get a word in edgewise over Ellen Gilchrist. She taught, and we thought we thought Julia was going to be the talker. Nope, Ellen Gilchrist was the talker. Uh, and I was really sad because my last year, I thought I was going to be in conversation with her myself, and we had sort of dreamed up this whole little thing that we were going to do, and it didn't happen. But her, she, before I even knew her, I read um, Victory Over Japan, and. Mm-hmm just fell in love with the characters and the writing and her tone of voice. And now that I know Ellen and have really got to know her, um, I can hear her 
writing. I mean, much like Audible, people listen to online mm-hmm. books, which I do not do, by the way. I cannot focus. I have to actually read the page. <laughs> uh, but Ellen Gilchrist, um, you know, I, I have a, a large collection of uh, favorite authors. It's like picking a favorite child, but Ellen certainly tops the list. Do you have a, a recommendation of where to start with her work? Sure, I would. Well, I have to get up. I'm going to go walk right over here. Um, I think that you should either read Victory Over Japan or The Annunciation or Drunk with Love. Um, those, some, some of her other stuff, they're all mostly, many of her books are, are centered around um, the same characters. So there's an evolution of those characters. And then she, then she writes just some great short stories and some um, other random things. Um, you know, it's just like watching Ellen's brain on, come undone on paper. She, she is a extraordinarily intellectually curious human being. So you're mm-hmm. never quite sure. In fact, when we talked a couple months ago, um, she's like, I'm, I think I'm done writing. And I said, Ellen, I just, I cannot believe that you have switched that part of your brain off. And she said, mm-hmm. well, she has for now. And I said, okay, but she's well into her eighties and has um is living down on the coast and is doing great anyway I would say I would start with Drunk with Love or Victory Over Japan Mm. all right thank you and and what what's next for the Mississippi Book Festival oh carries on let's all light the prayer candles that we will be live in person in August of this year um I am officially retired so my dear friend Ellen who is um now the executive director she had BB the book festival baby right after her first book festival with Mm. us. And I think that BB the baby and I will go to the weekend, spend a weekend somewhere while her mother runs the book festival. Um, (laughs) And we want it to be live and in person in one day. And it is, I mean, we I'm still working on the author panel um, committee. There are tons of books out there. There are lots of authors who want Mm. to come to Mississippi. We are of course are monitoring the COVID situation um, and the, conversations about surges and new iterations of COVID. But for the most part, we are optimistically planning ahead. And so I think um, that's what's happening. Uh, There are a couple of partnerships. I think that they're doing something with Ebony Lumumba and Imani Perry in Mm. February um, 16th, right after the Governor's Arts Awards um, at JSU, which is a a great partnership. Uh, And for those of you not familiar with Imani Perry, she is um, great. She's actually been to the festival before, so we're happy to welcome her back to Mississippi. Um, and they're, they're going to do some other um, one-offs now that we sort of established the book festival and we have um, the infrastructure in place and we have the actual day in August under control. Now we can start thinking about programming year-round and a book festival presence um, across the state. So, I mean, I would look for um, conversations with uh, authors all across the state um, throughout the year. I think that is really where we're headed. And of course, you know, we have to be mindful. It might be smaller groups. We may require masks. I don't really know. Um, Mm -hmm. We're just sort of rolling with um, whatever's happening this week, uh, according to the CDC and other various guidelines. So be looking for the book festival in August. 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 So I, I wish we had time to talk about like everything that you've done, but I know that you You've also worked with some some other arts endeavors in Mississippi. Just tell us about a few of those. Sure, I'm really fortunate because you know it seems like you hook up with a couple of people and you follow them throughout each of your careers. Um, 
if I look at our book festival board, I see Nina Parikh. Nina and I, Nina hired me to work with the Crossroads Film Festival mm. a long time ago. And I helped them sort of really just give shape to how they raise money and how they organize mm. themselves um, and gave them an opportunity to sort of um, let them do the creative stuff while I did the administrative stuff. And that worked out well. And Nina and I have stayed great friends low these many years. Um, I've worked um, with, of course, Betsy Bradley um, hired me when she was at the Mississippi Arts Commission. She then, of course, went, moved back to the Mississippi Museum of Art and has now been its executive director for 20 some odd years. Um, and she has hired me a couple of times to help with projects. And in fact, I'm working on the Great Migration exhibit with mm. them that's going to open in April um, with Betsy and Ryan Dennis. And so that's a very exciting opportunity. Yeah. Um, I had a chance to uh, open the two Mississippi museums, the Museum of History and the Museum of Civil Rights, uh, and working with Katie Blunt and Pam Jr. Uh, and Ruben Anderson and that group, that was a really special time. Uh, that was, a, a, to talk about a meaningful point in our history, um, I sat with um, Merle Evers' daughter, Rena, uh, before what, when we started initially planning the event. And I said, and, and Rena said, Holly, I just don't know if it's safe. And I said, Merle, I said, what, what are you concerned about? She said, I don't want to watch another parent be killed. Mm. And I heard her say that. And I said, mm. yes, ma'am, I understand what you're saying. And it really settled the significance of the event um, in my chest. And I thought, yeah. well, this is a commitment and I'm going to honor it just as absolutely best I can. So that was a really mm. uh, meaningful experience. But again, so many people involved in that are involved in so many other parts of the arts community across our state. So mm -hmm. I end up working with a lot of the same people all the time. And it's a really, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, we all sort of have our roles we play and uh, I'm very fortunate people um, sort of let me do what it is I do. And I get to come in and sprinkle a little logistical magic and then I leave. <laughs> um, but I'm always happy to um, be a patron of all of those organizations. Mm. Um, I have so always supported the Crossroads Film Festival. Um, I was fortunate to be asked to be on the Wealthy um, Foundation Board this year. Um, and that's a, that's a special thing. And I'm happy to be part of their programming and help with their fundraising too. So there are lots of ways that um, I will still stay plugged in. I'm not doing the day-to-day -day the book festival anymore, but that doesn't mean that I'm not doing the day-to-day -day of supporting the arts in Mississippi. Uh, we can't let off the gas pedal quite yet. There's always work to be done. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.